Was it my eyes that told you? <laughs> well, that's what well, in come the unconquerable. Your highness, Empress Sativa, the lyrical machine. When the lioness roar, no dog bark, kick it off. What that that thing? Welcome to the Psychedelic Timeshare. My name is Mark. I'm here with Ian as always. Ian, you want to introduce our guest? Yes, thank you so much, Mark. We today got Dave Bass, the director of Texas Texans for Veterans. I'm new as we do this. For Veterans for Medical Marijuana, he'll, he'll correct me, who is uh, retired as a major and then has uh, been involved here in Texas with normal and the legislative sessions since uh, 2013. And then we've also got Jason Walker, a retired NCO, also as well from the Army, and uh, joining us too to all talk tonight about Texas, veterans, medical marijuana what's the future of all that what's the future of psychedelics and other medicines going mainstream and how does texas fit in to the to the end of the drug war so thanks dave and jason for joining us and thanks for having me beautiful so yeah glad to be here man yeah (laughs) it's 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 been a long time coming so dave why don't you why don't you kick us off and uh Maybe fill in some more background on how your story got you involved in this process for legislating for marijuana in Texas. Yeah, I'm the founder of uh, Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana, uh, but now a veteran in San Antonio uh, named Veta Diana Edwards has taken the reins, and now she's the uh, operations um, person uh, taking the lead on Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana operations. Uh, and now I'm uh, I'm just a Texan for medical marijuana, <laughs> and uh, that feels good because uh, you know I just turned 65, so it's time for younger veterans to uh, take point and uh, lead the fight. Um, and uh, what I want to start off saying is, um, Jason came over and visited me uh, not too long ago. And uh, he passed on something uh, that uh, Ian had said. And uh, Ian just told, I told Ian uh, before we started how much that meant to me. And uh, Ian uh, said uh, he actually received it from another veteran. Uh, so um, uh, Jason told me that, uh, that Ian said, uh, you know, we have to uh, drop out of the PTSD Olympics. And uh, man, that, uh, that, that really made me think a lot. And I told Ian, I, I think about that every day uh, because I was a, a gold medalist uh, for a long time in the PTSD Olympics. And, uh, and that phrase is something I needed uh, to help me walk through a door uh, into uh, another phase in my life. Uh, and so I really appreciate uh, Jason uh, passing that on, and I really appreciate Ian, uh, you giving us that gift, and the original veteran who gave us that gift, uh, for us to um, think about uh, the PTSD Olympics and uh, how can we uh, move on uh, from that. Uh, and so that's my focus right now, 
uh, is to move to another level. There, there's a time and place uh, for the PTSD Olympics, but uh, uh, you, can, you can consider me to be a, a, a former contestant, Ian, in the PTSD Olympics. Absolutely. Well, Dave, maybe you can explain to the listeners how the sort of PTSD Olympics comes about in the process of people deploying overseas for these combat deployments, right? And then getting uh, medically retired. Yeah. How, how do people get in that situation where they find themselves competing for that? Well, I came back from Iraq with these, uh, I, I was with the first cavalry division in Iraq in 0405. Then I retired from the army in 06. And uh, in 05, when I got back, I had all these symptoms, uh, the, the, you know, the usual symptoms of PTSD, anger outburst, uh, paranoia, hypervigilance. Um, and uh, uh, I was uh, prescribed psychotropic medications by the Army doctors and then by the VA doctors. And, um, and I was really angry about uh, the whole PTSD thing. And uh, so, uh, you know, I was a witness to how cannabis uh, helps veterans with PTSD. Uh, but the thing about uh, being a witness to cannabis helping uh, veterans with PTSD uh, is you tend to uh, relive it day after day, time after time. Um, and, uh, and if you're not careful, uh, you get stuck in it. And, uh, and that's all you think about. That's all you talk about. Uh, and, and you live it. You know, you live yeah. it. And, and you and have to figure out a way. And Ian helps us figure out a way to, uh, to, to get to another level. And it's not, it's not easy. Definitely not. What, what, you know, the fact that the government is saying, I'm going to classify you as disabled and give you money. And if you stay that way, you'll continue to get the money. You know, you're, you're right. You're incentivizing people to at least identify with the label of staying limited or, you know what I mean? Or, or still being sick. So how being a victim. Yeah. Well, so how, well, so how, how do we, yeah, how do we help veterans get past and through that? You know, I mean, because it's important for veterans to get the money that they deserve for their service to help them be better, but it's not to help them be an enabled veteran. It's to help them right now be stuck in a box with a label called disabled veteran, and your, you know, your PTSD is going to continue is what they're kind of saying. It will, but we'll help you manage it, but we're not going to try to help you, you know, transcend it or go past it. Well, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I sit out on my patio with uh, Jason, you know, and, uh, and we talk and uh, always enjoy uh, sitting down and talking to Ian. So I don't know the answer to it, um, but uh, just that phrase, PTSD Olympics, opened a door uh, to tell me uh, that there is another level and there is a door we can walk through. Uh, and we don't have to, to be the, the PTSD victim, as Mark just said, uh, and wear that, you know, big giant PTSD on, on my forehead uh, every day, 24-7. Um, there, there is another level. And, and cannabis and uh, entheogenic medicine uh, that Ian teaches us about uh, can get us to that level. And I think uh, all of us are still uh, finding that path. Jason helps me find that path. I think we help each other. We're mirrors for each other. 
But yeah, what do you think, Jason? How uh, you you retired from the military and then, uh, or, or tell us about, yeah, how you exited the military, retirement, medical claims, all that kind of stuff, how that all went down. Yeah, mine's kind of a complicated story. Uh, um, what it boiled down to is the Army was trying to med board me. I had... Uh, which would be for people like a medical yes. board, a medical retirement, where they say you don't have the option to finish your 20-year commitment, and instead, though, we're going to pay you some portion of the money you would be earning in retirement, but as a medical retirement, and unlike retirement, once you're complete and you're done, medical, it's like if you get better, they can say, well, you don't need it now. And what they were trying to do, uh, the uh, MEBs is what the uh, med board process is called with uh, acronyms in the military. They have really shortened down the time to about two months, and they were trying to um, not allow me to continue on active duty, which is a co-ad, and they were going to uh, force me to just medically retire at about, uh, I think, 18 years, but um, I overcame that, and I, was, I had uh, PTSD tremendously bad at that time, and I was on... 10 different medications. So this was like my last fight that I had in me and I want, I had to get my retirement as well. So, um, at a certain point, the army has to allow you to continue on active duty and get your retirement. I made it to that point. So nobody can make that decision for me. So I got out the army. I was med boarded and I got my retirement. I spent 20 years and one day, um, and then after that, you know, it all went downhill real, real quick. Uh, I had a, a job interview and a job lined up for, um, I got off on terminal leave. Took two weeks terminal leave. I moved to Odessa, Texas, away from my family, my support system. I thought I could live there long enough and get a stable um, environment for my family to move up at a later date. Well, I made it three months, had a suicide attempt, and then I moved home and didn't tell anybody. And I quit my job there. And it was a really good paying job. I started off at twenty seven fifty an hour. And they paid overtime. And whenever I came back, that's whenever cannabis was uh, reintroduced to my life by one of my veteran brothers. And <clears throat> at that time, I stopped having nightmares. That was the first thing I noticed. And so um, I was really intrigued and I started diving into why am I not having nightmares? And then after that, I was like, well, maybe I could stop taking some of these medications because that was always one of my, the things in my head. Whenever I started taking these medications in the military, I always wanted to get off them. There was never a time that I was uh, wanting to settle that I did have to take these medications for the rest of my life because I'm a fighter and that's, it's just in me. But anyway, I did get off all those medications, off 10 of them, but, uh, it was with a little bit of help from the VA. They took away my sleep meds uh, right whenever I went to visit them. And that was the only medication that was working for me at that time. And it made me suicidal. And whenever you are taking all these medications, and they're not medicine for you anymore. You're taking them for the side effects at that time. And suicide is a side effect to a lot of those medications. And um, I took my last benzo in like December of... 2017 that was four months after i started using cannabis that's how powerful cannabis is. i still had suicidal ideations 
But I had to process some stuff and get off those medications, and the cannabis helped me do that. And I did that for a long time, for almost a year. And I had to trust that process because it did lead me to uh, the psychedelics, and that was what uh, led me to what stopped my suicidal ideations. The, the using the cannabis? No. Getting to the psychedelics? Yes. So what, what other medicines... One, you said you, you didn't, you know, uh, you're using the cannabis. It was taking care of your nightmares and you were able to get off other medications. What were the other medications that you were on that you got off of that cannabis was directly addressing those, those needs? One of them was Klonopin. Um, one of them was, uh, so you can maybe like tell people like here what this medicine's prescribed for and then how cannabis, you know what I'm saying? Could be like a right. uh, substitute Klonop- replacement. Klonopin is a benzodiazepine. Uh, it's a slow acting one. And I think it was on uh, like one milligram of it the whole time. And what it would do if I was having a panic attack or something, I could take it and um, it would either knock me out or I would uh, calm down some. And I would say that uh, the concentrated cannabis was what the place of that because it was my prn and then smoking the flower like indicas and sativas i had to learn a whole you know different thing but smoking them would alter my thinking or my perception so whenever i was coming off all these pills that i wasn't going into those withdrawals like uh if you were coming off of pills because i've come off opiates with like while i was in the army had six surgeries within two years on my shoulder and I was addicted to opiates after that and I had to come off of that cold turkey and they were trying to give me uh ambium and trazodone so at one time I was taking the the trifecta a death cocktail of the opioids the ambium and the trazodone together and then I had to tell the doctors you know hey I'm waking up in my kid's closet not not good and that was what that VA doctor was trying to get me to take again was Ambien instead of Lunesta and I told him no and that's what started this whole thing it's crazy yeah and you know um, people always ask me uh, about the side effects of the psychotropic medication and um, my experience was on the psychotropic medication I wasn't me I felt like uh, in the army I'd already lost my soul in the army yeah uh, because if you spend 25 years in the Army, 20 years in the Army, uh, even one enlistment in the Army, you know you give your soul to that institution. That's just how it is. And I gave my soul to the Army for 25 years. And then when I took those psychotropic medications, uh, that, that took me even further away from myself. And then when I used cannabis, I got a glimpse hey, this is the real me over here. And so it gave me a vision of, of becoming my best self again. That's what cannabis oh, is. Beautiful. How, how did you know that that was the real you? How did you feel or how did you know, right versus the, your, these other medicines, they're doing something to you where you're like, I'm less me. The cannabis, you're like, well, this happens to be more me. How does that Well, does I, I just had this, uh, this, uh, glimpse this vision of a uh, dave bass that's not violent a uh, dave bass that's not angry 
uh, a Dave Bass that's not uh, stuck in the past. Um, you know, uh, that, that's who I became, but that's not how I started off. You know, that, that's not the real Dave Bass. Yeah, those drugs that, are powerful. Yeah, that's who I was. And those, those pills were going to keep me right there. They were. They, they weren't going oh. to help me transform. They were just going to, well, and they did, uh, control the symptoms. But it doesn't, those pills didn't help me see a better me. It wasn't until cannabis that I saw, oh, wait a minute, I forgot about that guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, how does, for people to understand, I've said like these medicines can be like make you a pharmaceutical prisoner of war. How, how does taking these medicines that are totally affecting your personality and cramming down the signal versus opening it up with cannabis or psychedelics, you know, maybe you can, you know, give people some insight into that or what, you know, what, what's going on when you're like, I, I notice they're, they're giving these medications and it's not going to improve you in the long term, right? And as a matter of fact, it's making it harder because you're not having the opportunity to process these experiences. So you're like locked into your own, you know, uh, insane asylum, right? You've got these yeah. <laughs> experiences. You're not processing them. The side effects of the drugs are suicidal ideations and you're not getting a bigger range of experience to have these perspectives on. I want to be this cool Dave Bass or this good Dave Bass. You're like, man, this sucks in this box, you know? And well, I'm, I made my bedroom, my prison. Um, some of the other drugs I was on was Seroquel. Uh, I was on of the highest dose that you could be on that. And um, that's prescribed for schizophrenia and it's probably prescribed to me because uh, I have a little bit of bipolar and the PTSD is bipolar. It's like a big roller coaster. You know, you go for your downs and your ups. But uh, like I really made my room my prison and I didn't want to leave it. Even while I was still in the army on the medications, like I would just call in to formation and I was like, I'm still alive, motherfuckers. And then they would be like, every once in a while, you need to come in. And I would only come in if the commander wanted me to come in. I would not come in for anybody else. And that's how I rolled because of how I felt like I was shitted on. Like once they told me that they weren't signing the co-ad to let me retire, I was, I gave them the fuck you. You know where I'll be. I'll call in every once in a while. And that was it. And that's, wow. and they'll make you real numb too. Like those drugs make you so numb. Like, and they'll take every ounce of uh, joy and happiness, all those good feelings away from you and you're stuck in your sadness and your sickness. And yeah, cause I, I had accepted this is me now. Exactly. Right? Cause exactly. I'm a, I'm a biker. Um, I, I'm a soldier. Started off in the infantry and uh, among bikers and, um, and in the infantry, uh, there's this concept of uh, disproportionate retaliation, which is if a sniper takes a shot at us from a window in the building, we destroy the whole fucking building. If, if uh, you and your biker friends are in a bar and somebody fucks with one of your biker brothers, all of you beat the shit out of that guy. Right. And go outside and burn his bike. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, 
And that was my, that became my approach to life. And that's not healthy mentally. And so I just uh, had accepted that I had become this, this really hard person. And uh, it wasn't until I found cannabis uh, that, that a door opened uh, that I could uh, at least have the hope of, of finding a, an, another Dave Betts. Wow. So from that, at that point, then you started lobbying here, right, in Texas. In uh, right in the 2013 session, yeah, 2013 was my first legislative session. I went and joined Texas Normal in Austin and met other activists. Uh, 2013 was my first legislative session, and um, you know, becoming an activist and uh, uh, being involved in uh, the legislative process is a is a two edged sword uh, because uh, you're trying to become a better person and uh, you're wading through the swamp. Uh, whenever you uh, start dealing with the uh, politics in Texas. And so uh, that's a conflict, you know. How do you, how do you uh, become a better person and immerse yourself in uh, Texas politics? And uh, I still struggle with that, too. That, that's a real challenge. But uh, that's what I did because uh, the bottom line is I was using cannabis illegally and I want to use it legally and I want to grow it uh, without worrying about the SWAT team showing up. Yeah. So that's why I immersed myself in the legislative process. Amen. And you 2013, 2015, 2017, 2019, and now here we are in 2021. And uh, yeah, what, what, what would you like to see? Dave, come out of this session? Well, our ultimate goal, of course, is to legalize cannabis in Texas. And then after that, to legalize entheogenic medicine. Uh, so there's a mountain, and then there's a mountain beyond the mountain. So we, we, uh, we veterans now have two goals, and we know that we have to uh, legalize cannabis first, and then veterans in uh, Colorado and other states are showing us. Uh, that once you do that, uh, then you can uh, cross over a bridge toward that other mountain, start, start climbing that mountain. Uh, that's our ultimate goal. Uh, but in Texas, uh, our ultimate goal is, the first ultimate goal is to legalize cannabis so that the number of people who get arrested for possessing cannabis in Texas uh, is zero. And we're making progress because um, uh, in 2019, uh, Texas arrested, and this is uh, Department of Public Safety numbers, uh, 95,000 Texans were arrested for possessing cannabis in Texas uh, two years ago. And then the hemp law got passed. Thank God. Ooh, and, big, uh, biggest piece of drug reform legislation in history on yeah, the planet. Yeah. And the way it affected Texas is uh, that hemp law passed at the exact same time uh, that district attorneys came into power in Dallas and Houston and Austin, uh, who said that uh, they didn't want to waste uh, resources prosecuting uh, people for personal amounts of cannabis. So that happened simultaneously. And so because of those two things, um, uh, we're, we're tracking the numbers uh, this year, and it looks like the numbers this year uh, are, and these are not final numbers, but it looks like in, uh, in, 2000, in 2020, uh, the number is going to be right around 36,000 people arrested. 
Wow. So we've cut the uh, number of people arrested by two-thirds. That is huge. And so we're winning the fight in Texas at the local level. And Texas uh, isn't on fire either. Like, yeah, it's still afloat. Nothing's changed, <laughs> except all these people, their lives aren't ruined. Right. Um, so, so we could maybe categorize for people, there's going to be three possible types of bills. Decrim bills, new medical program bills, full legalization bills, or some bill that's going to amend the existing teacup program that we have for 0.5% THC with some conditions around epile- uh, you know, intractable epilepsy. Is that a fair yeah. way to yeah. organize? Okay. Yeah. So if I had a, uh, a magic wand, the bill that would pass this year would be House Bill 447 by Representative Joe Moody from El Paso. And Joe was just appointed as Speaker Pro Tempore of the 87th Texas Legislature. So he's the second most powerful legislator in the Texas House, and he's our champion to legalize cannabis. So we can all, too, understand more about Texas politics. So that position is this, the second in command. What, is that, what does that do? So basically, um, the Speaker Pro Tempore, um, he runs things down on the floor, the minute oh. details of who, you know, who does what, uh, how bills are moved around. He he make he helps make the deals. Yeah. Um, whereas like, like a senior NCO, he's actually right. making yes. stuff like happen. The command sergeant major. exactly, and then the <laughs> and then uh, f- uh, Speaker Felon. If I'm saying his name right. He's the one dealing with the governor and the lieutenant governor. Right. So so Representative Joe Moody has great respect. He's a Democrat who's who's greatly respected by Democrats and Republicans. He's been right. He's been a DA himself from El Paso, and uh, he came he came to cannabis. Uh, by meeting uh, uh, Colt, uh, the leader of, uh, of El Paso Normal, and, uh, and listening to Colt uh, talk about uh, uh, why people shouldn't be arrested for cannabis, and, and, uh, and it made sense to Joe. And, and, uh, and so he's on our side, and that's fantastic. So we have this great legalization bill. It's as good as any other, you know, well, legalization. Yeah. What program. do we get? What do we get if we get, if we get your wishes? <laughs> and uh, Joe Moody, <laughs> yeah. right? I think it's two and a half ounces of flour. To, right? Two and a half ounces of flour. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, concentrates aren't in there, so it, it's a it's a start. Uh, let me find my notes. I so, feel. You. I thought that was the one. He didn't he have concentrates in there? Uh, the let fi- me the find fi- this. Uh, 15 grams. I've been studying each no, one. No, this is kind of why I was like framing it for people because, I yeah. mean, how many bills are there in Texas okay. so far? In this? Go ahead. That, thank you, Ian. Yeah. Yes. So it's I'm adults may possess 2.5 ounces of flour and 15 grams of concentrate. Beautiful. I mean, so that, that's good. Yeah. Like and uh, we can cultivate 12 cannabis plants. Yeah. Um, Growers, dispensaries, transporters, and testing facilities will be granted license, so that's a whole lot of jobs. The tax rate on sales is 10%, and the taxes go primarily to fund schools with a share going to cities and counties. So it does include uh, 15 grams of concentrate, which is quite a bit of concentrate. Definitely. And so it's a pretty streamlined and kind of seems simple, Bill, right? not keep things complicated with a lot of regulatory structure. And so then also there's a, we don't have to get these numbers, but there's a companion Senate bill that's basically the same language, right? Yes, uh, Senator uh, Royce. And I have yet to um, uh, 
go and look at word by word through that bill, but I'm going to soon. Uh, but yes, we have a companion bill in the Senate. Uh, the, and and the, the, really, the only big difference is he has different ideas of where the tax money should Got go. It. Beautiful. Oh, but so, yeah, so for people to understand, you want to ideally have these bills that are going to go through both houses be as similar so there doesn't have to be a reconciliation process after because in Texas it's all about there's tons of bills and you got a little bit of time and it doesn't matter what your bill's about you got to have it be your process to get it to the finish line has to be smooth sailing because anything that can you know slow it down can kill it yeah and then the medical marijuana bill if I had a magic wand Got it. Would be uh, Senate Bill 90 by Senator Jose. Can I ask you right off the bat, if you got that medical bill with this same, uh, sorry, when you, if you got the uh, legalization bill from Moody, it, would you also separately need this same medical bill to do different things that the legalization in bill In my opinion. So in, we don't have a yeah, Washington yes. state problem where they make the medical and legal into one. And yeah, in my opinion, we need in Texas a... Um, retail sales program and we need a medical marijuana program because um, number one patient shouldn't be paying 10 percent tax on their medicine just to start off with um so yes uh, and, and i've always advocated uh, for both retail uh, sales and and medical so yeah is there anything then in the medical bill that uh was that sb90 you said yeah sb90 it's a whole yeah. plant bill no mm -hmm. thc limit that's Perfect. super important it includes flour and concentrate cities and counties may not prohibit medical cannabis dispensaries that's very important because uh, colleen so you don't live in a dry county yeah, yeah where colleen, you're like, right yeah. there out of fort hood they just um legalized uh liquor stores a couple of years ago they sure as heck wouldn't allow dispensaries if they weren't uh, if they were told they had a choice um medical practitioners may recommend cannabis so, so not just physicians a Beautiful. physician like a physician, physician assistant, assistant a or nurse a practitioner. registered nurse yes uh, can can recommend cannabis and they call the language is recommend we, yes. we know versus not prescribed but she could be a there's a long con. list of qualifying conditions any patient with with a with any debilitating condition can qualify uh, patients and caregivers may possess two and a half ounces as a minimum. So uh, yeah. the, the, uh, it couldn't be below that. But the medical practitioner can recommend more, depending on the situation, like cancer. Uh, patients and caregivers can grow six plants. But again, the physician or the person who recommends could say, well, this person needs more than six plants. And, and Jason could be growing six plants for Dave and then six plants for me and then six plants for my... Uh, I would hope so. But I'm yes, saying that's, that's yeah, the idea too, yeah. is that the person could be growing for lots of people, having their license stuff attached to it. Yeah, because yeah. think if you had one of those debilitating conditions to where you couldn't move around a lot and you couldn't tend to a plant. Right. So exactly. uh, Not everybody can grow a plant. Right. And, and my ultimate goal in Texas is we need to be able... For me and Ian and Jason to have a co-op, let's do and it and grow our plants together. That that's the ultimate goal is to have patient cooperatives growing the plants. Amen. And then the license fee in uh, Senator Menendez's uh, bill is a license fee of five thousand dollars per dispensaries with a maximum twenty-five hundred dollar renewal fee, which would give fantastic opportunities to a lot of small business people. Uh, and and it. Um, Basically takes the Texas Compassionate Use Program and expands it into a real 
medical marijuana program. And Senator Menendez told us at the, uh, at the marijuana conference two years ago, the reason he came to this uh, cause is a close family member died. And uh, Senator Menendez knew that, that medical cannabis could help this person, this family member, this dear family member. But this dear family member wouldn't use medical cannabis because it was against the law. Right. It's a powerful story. So powerful. It's great. Uh, You know, the person was dying and the law stood in the way. And this person was such a a good person, law-abiding citizen, wouldn't even consider breaking the law. Uh, And and so that's why these laws uh, are so unjust. So then are there other decrim bills that are... You well, know, the, 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 or is it kind of rolled into that like legalization? I would say of, that the decrim bill that has the best chance, if if Governor Abbott and the Texas Legislature wants to do the absolute minimum, that's the way you got to think about it, right? Is that's on the bottom, and then medical in the middle, and then legalization at the top. Yeah. That's the biggest ask, and you know, yeah. decrim's the like sort of lowest. Right. The the absolute minimum would be uh, Representative Zwiner's bill. Uh, House Bill 441, possession of one ounce of cannabis is a Class C misdemeanor. The person will not be arrested. The police officer will just issue a citation. The judge will place the person on 12 months probation, which we all know that's really messed up to be on probation for 12 months, peeing in the bottle every month. It's about the money. After successfully completing probation, the person pays a $30 fee to get the expunction. The court will grant the request. The person will have no criminal record, uh, and the person will not lose their driver's license uh, for, as a result of this citation. So that's it. You know, that, that's the Is minimum. that a Republican bill? Is that either- no, none of these are Republicans. There's wow, not so a don't. single marijuana bill filed by a Republican <laughs> that I know of. I haven't looked at every single one of them. Um, any, so, any reason to see that change in the session now that these bills have already been filed? Is, is there going to be? I think my personal opinion is that the. Uh, the Republicans, uh, it, it's, it's, it's uh, a bridge too far for them still. Uh, they'll speak in favor of it. They'll vote in favor of bills. Uh, but to actually author a, a, a marijuana bill, is, uh, it's, it's just uh, too much for them to comprehend. It's reaching. So is there a separate bill that's technically expanding teacup? you know, by some kind of amendment or something or any kind of things like that that they're are needing addressing or we're talking about. If I was, if I was betting $10,000 on what will happen this legislative session, um, last session, um, and we could go into it if we want to, um, you know, Lieutenant governor, uh, Dan Patrick yeah. personally stripped PTSD out of Senator Campbell's bill adding PTSD and autism and, and another condition to teacup and Lieutenant governor Patrick, um, personally had her take it out and I wasn't in the room when he said it, but I have a good source that said that, that his quote was, if we put PTSD in there, everyone will claim they have PTSD. Uh, those of us who have been diagnosed with PTSD knows that's not how it works, but that's supposedly what he said. Um, Governor, uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, uh, Senator Campbell, uh, Representative Stephanie Click uh, conspired together and removed PTSD from the bill uh, and then had this staged 
debate on the Senate floor with Senator Birdwell from Waco and, uh, and, uh, Senator Campbell told the most vicious, evil lie that's ever been told on the floor of the Texas Senate and said that 70% of veterans who commit suicide have THC in their blood. And uh, my personal opinion uh, is that uh, Representative Stephanie Click gave her that lie uh, because uh, when we veterans exposed it as a lie, which we did within hours, um, Senator Campbell's excuse was that she was given that number of 70%. Uh, who gave it to her? Well, uh, my, my opinion is uh, Stephanie Click gave her that number because Stephanie Click was sitting right there on the floor uh, when that debate was happening because she's the mother of Teacup. And, uh, and uh, I think she had her marching orders from. Lieutenant Governor Patrick, that PTSD would not be included. But Representative uh, Eddie Lucio III, uh, who, whose uh, medical marijuana bill passed the House, but Lieutenant Governor Patrick would not allow it to be heard in the Senate, he was really uh, terribly upset that PTSD was taken out. And Representative uh, Lucio told us that he would do everything within his power to make sure that PTSD uh, would get added to TCAP in 2021. And so now uh, Representative Lucio has filed a bill uh, to add PTSD to TCAP. And his father, uh, Senator Lucio Jr., in the Senate has filed uh, the exact same bill. Uh, and so if, if I was betting, I would bet that uh, uh, deals have already been made and discussions have already been had. Um, and, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick has, has said publicly uh, that there is the possibility that teacup could be improved or expanded. Uh, so if I was a betting person, uh, from a pessimistic point of view, uh, what, what uh, is likely to happen is PTSD will get added to teacup, uh, and then uh, uh, Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick and uh, Stephanie Click and um, Senator Campbell will say, well, you know, we did this. You asked us to do this, and we did it. Why are you still complaining? <laughs> <laughs> well, so thank you for that, uh, you know, insightful on the inside analysis. What's wrong for people that this 70%, why, why, finding, 70, why finding THC in 70% of veterans who committed suicide, why is that lack of causal correlation something that uh, she was able to get away with. You know what I'm saying? Is it because they waited to the last minute when there was not going to be any more time to debate on this? And, you know, because we all know just because you find something, it, it's, it's more like the veterans have the THC because it's helping deal with some of their symptoms along with the other medications that they're on. So to point out THC as a cause there's no basis for that. And in fact, it's giving people relief and they're on less of the medications that they wouldn't otherwise be on, reducing the side effects of suicidal ideation. Exactly. We know that. And we know now the states that have uh, dispensaries, opiate deaths are down. Cannabis reduces suicide, not the other way around. And we're in this whole world of medical science now with COVID and everything. So all of us are being kind of like right forced to become more, you know, experts on being able to 
communicate to that, but it's like, it's totally dirty tricks, right? It's like the worst kind of dirty trick is to throw cannabis and say, no, it's actually causing the suicides, but we're not going to have a floor debate. We're not going to have, you know what I mean? There's not going to be any room or opportunity for a veterans or organizations to come in and testify to the contrary. They just waited to the last minute and let's, maybe we can also explain to people how in Texas, our system works where we know from like the federal Mitch McConnell didn't let anything come out of the Senate, right? In the last administration, Dan Patrick has that same role. He basically is the Lieutenant governor, right? Controls the Senate and what he says goes. So in this most recent session, he said in a televised uh, talk on TV that he was going to consider cannabis as an issue. And then he immediately went and soon as the session started, passed some rule to make it easy for him to block anything coming out, which is what he already intends to do. Right. Well, um, you know, the way we disproved uh, Senator Campbell's uh, lie is a, a veteran uh, found this, uh, this, uh, the latest study. Uh, and, uh, and the fact is, which is indisputable. And the fact is uh, veterans who commit suicide, uh, the, the percent that has THC in their blood is 9%, which is a, big difference from 70%. The veterans who commit suicide who have alcohol in their blood is 32%. Uh, The veterans who have antidepressants in their blood when they commit suicide is 24%. The veterans who commit suicide who have opiates in their blood when they commit suicide is 21%. So the truth is, as we all know, uh, the, the, the real culprits are alcohol, uh, antidepressants, and uh, opiates, not not THC. Yeah, you could add those percentages up. Yeah, because you, uh, you know we'd all be drinking opioids, all that stuff right there. I was taking just, all three of yeah, those. Yeah, you could take right. all three of those and just add that percentage up, and then that could probably be your seventy percent. Yeah, so that's uh, forty-five percent plus thirty-two percent. So that's uh, what seventy-seven percent. And I'm not even a. So the so the so the seventy percent was opioids, yeah. antidepressants, and alcohol, right. not THC. Yeah, because yeah. whenever I was my most suicidal, uh, the only thing I wasn't on was the opioids. So, 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 so maybe we can frame what we know. We're saying best case legalization, worst case some kind of uh, you know amendment to teacup where we're getting an additional condition of PTSD, and then these other th- things in the middle. We all know that. Come November 2022, Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, and Greg Abbott, the governor's offices, are both up for election. So what we can be clear on is there's not a political incentive or you know some, something pushing them where they need to do anything because their vote, you know, their 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 position isn't isn't up for uh, you know for getting voted on. By that next one, definitely we're going to have people running against them, right, that are going to be running on the cannabis thing. So how does that reality facing them, and Dan Patrick said he's going to run again for re-election, change their calculus in this session where things might be better, you know what I'm saying, than the most pessimistic option, right? Because they're like, well, I need to start tracking (laughs) towards my fight in both primaries and the general for these positions where cannabis is going to be an issue, you know, does that, does that help? Or have you seen enough of Texas politics where it's like, you know, don't, don't get, don't get your hopes up. In Texas, our uh, districts are gerrymandered. 
Uh, so and we're uh, here in Austin, the most gerrymandered city in the country right. at a federal level. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is Texas is without a doubt, majority Republican. And so the only way Republic and, and Republicans control every state level office, a hundred percent. And so the only way that Republicans lose at the state level is to another Republican because a Republican more conservative than them primaries them from the right. Yep. And so um, there is no doubt that both Lieutenant Governor Patrick and Governor Abbott will be primaried uh, by Republicans uh, who purport to be more conservative than either one of them. Uh, because uh, a lot of Republicans in Texas hate Dan Patrick because they say he's a statist. And, he's, he and he's, an, he's an out-of-stater, too. Yeah, he's he, from Ohio. Yeah, he, he, he is a statist because he believes, you know, the government should be able to tell us. Yeah, because he's got to protect all of his bars that he has in Houston. Yeah. And then uh, Governor Abbott, of course, has opened himself up uh, to, to challenges from the right because of certain decisions he's made during the pandemic. And so, um, so there's no doubt they will be challenged from the right. Now, do, 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 you, do you see that without getting into the names? or Do you, do you see a credible challenge from a, someone who's a conservative on the Republican primaries running against either of these guys? And how can that person come from more right and be on cannabis unless they're a veteran? Well, right. Can you say who, no one, I don't, can you even like pull that off politically? You see what I'm saying? To, well, Republicans in Texas who are our uh, most important allies for cannabis reform uh, are libertarian Republicans who are extremely conservative uh, because these Republicans believe in the bedrock GOP principle that the government should not tell us what to do in our personal life. Uh, obviously, Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick don't believe that basic GOP principle. So the grand old party principle of keeping the government out of my personal life uh, is how we should talk to Republicans to say, do you really believe in, in GOP principles? And so any Republican that does believe that will have to uh, support us with cannabis reform. Uh, and, and there are Republicans uh, who believe that, but they, you know, they have to be politically really careful. Uh, but we know that uh, uh, Texas Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller uh, who is 100% committed to the hemp program in Texas, has stated uh, that if, if medical marijuana, if medical cannabis can help a person with a toothache, uh, then we should, uh, we should allow it. Amen. And so I don't know um, what Sid's uh, ultimate goals are politically, uh, but it would be nice uh, if, a, if a Republican uh, became a lieutenant governor or governor who believed that if a person has a toothache and cannabis can help that person, then, then that person should be able to choose cannabis. That would help us a lot. So, Dave, assuming that you're the campaign manager for Sid Miller's lieutenant governor race against Dan Patrick, yeah, give, give me some like nuggets on how, how do you take down this way of thinking that you're saying is these people who are saying limited government, but they want to regulate what you do in your house, you know, what, what would be the messages coming out of Sid Miller's campaign and office as you're getting ready to take back the state and take us? Well, I would tell Sid to, to um, explain to people that uh, hemp is the cannabis plant. And Wait, but isn't that bad now? Isn't that that crazy California marijuana plant? <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
And so, you know, hemp is cannabis, and, uh, and our plant can take many forms and, and help people in many ways. So, in my opinion, that, that's how you explain it as, as a hemp advocate, is that we're just taking this plant uh, and, and, and allowing uh, this plant uh, to help us in new ways uh, by uh, growing it uh, a certain way so that we can use it as medicine. Are Texans afraid of cannabis and afraid of Texas becoming California, or is that just some of these politicians that... Uh... Yeah, it's very potent when people say, don't California my Texas, right? Um, and so, so our message, uh, my message is always, uh, we, we can come up with a, with a Texas-centric uh, medical marijuana program, uh, a Texas-centric uh, legalization program, uh, that's based on the bedrock uh, Republican principle of free markets and keeping the government out of our personal life. And can't you argue, since Texas has all this land, unlike California, which is either full of mountains, people, <laughs> or vegetables that are growing, we've got all this space. We can grow three different seasons of cannabis outdoor down in the valley. We all know Texas could be the biggest cannabis producer on the entire planet. So how do, we, how do we shift from this they're worried about Cheech and Chong and tie-dyes and hacky sacks to, no, we could be the powerhouse, which we've been had the historically for oil and gas, on this new renewable oil that we can grow all across the state? Well, let's be clear who the final line of defense is in Texas. Uh, the final line of defense against cannabis reform in Texas are the uh, law enforcement associations. They want no change, no change at all. I'm going to stop you right there. What did Joe Biden's executive order getting rid of private prisons do to that equation in like the short term? Well, the, uh, the prison guard union is right there with the uh, law enforcement association. So there's less people now working in that prison union lobbying and paying money to the lobbyists because... Uh, Biden just said no whack and hut, no corrections, corporations of America, no private prisons. Yes, that's helpful. So we got We got to get. We don't have enough prisons in Texas. We got to hire private companies to warehouse our drug uh, offenders. Now the other uh, final line of defense, and people are like really sensitive about talking about this, but uh, Governor Abbott is a devout conservative Catholic. Uh, who attends mass every morning before he goes to work. And uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick is a dedicated, devout, evangelical Christian uh, because he believes that uh, his uh, conversion uh, to evangelical Christianity uh, helped him overcome his um, mental health issues that he dealt with. Uh, and uh, there is no doubt that um, conservative Catholics and evangelical Christian leaders, um, the leaders of, of both of uh, these uh, groups, are very much opposed to cannabis reform uh, because they believe that uh, cannabis really is the devil's wheat. And then the other issue is African-American churches. Uh, we know that, uh, that racial profiling is a real problem in Texas, uh, but at the same time, uh, African-American churches who are very politically uh, powerful um, don't, don't um, often support cannabis reform 
uh, because they put it right there with uh, cocaine and, and methamphetamine and other hard drugs, uh, which uh, destroy their neighborhoods. Uh, and so uh, I don't know what the solution is, uh, but th- those two uh, groups, um, evangelical Christians, uh, conservative Catholics, plus the law enforcement associations, uh, that's the final line of defense, and we have to figure out uh, how to uh, how to convince them uh, that what we're doing is right. Sure, I think this is a perfect segue then into uh, the 2022 Texas election and federal, you know, changes, descheduling, rescheduling, because what we're saying is is that we're all hopeful for the best possible improvements in this next session, but that the big power players, Abbott and Patrick, don't really have to do anything. If anything, it's maybe prepping themselves to make a little bit of a movement so they can have some press to point to in the elections. What do some of these potential changes where psychedelics are going mainstream? You got money coming in, you have different municipalities, different cities uh, decriminalizing them. You have a whole state, Oregon, decriminalizing it. It's following the same pattern as cannabis, except it's accelerating even faster. So how do some of these changes that you know, you know we have a democratic administration seems more you know open to drug reform and then hopefully psychedelics but yeah what do you kind of see as far as those changes how that might affect texas and or you know how does texas fit into the whole bigger picture of ending the drug war because we kind of know this is the last place in the u.s that's really has these holdouts that are texas is ornery but but there were yeah. the, we're the last one. We're the you know we're the Alamo, right? If it, once Texas is sorted at a medical cannabis level, at a minimum, even before legalization and some kind of decrim for psychedelics, is there anything else left in the drug war other than kind of the cleanup and the rescheduling and the banking all that stuff? And you know where we get full federal decrim, but that, you know what what else what else is sort of left? Well, I think for Texas the. Um the key will be uh, federal legalization. That that's the key. That that'll change everything. Uh, but you know. Um, so let's say that happens. Let's say that we have some kind of federal. The MORE Act passes, uh, you know, this year, and it moves cannabis from Schedule One to Schedule Three. So that just makes it easier for Sid Miller to beat uh, Dan Patrick right in an election because he's like, look, dude, this is where the whole country's going. Let's make some money. We, you know, COVID took down our, our money, you know, our, our budget. We got a budget shortfall because of COVID and we're not going to have the oil and gas revenue we had in the past. So wh- where else are they going to f- eventually fill the hole? Because it's not going to be gambling if you've the same thing for the, you know, evangelicals and right and Catholics and but, you know, churches are churches are generally not for uh, gambling. But if it's getting to the point where it's got to be filled by something, it, you know, isn't it inevitable that cannabis is going to be that thing? Because where, where else are they going to get the money? Well, I think it is inevitable that cannabis will be legalized at the federal level and, 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 and in Texas. Uh, but a lot of things have to come together uh, for that to happen. But, but I think it is inevitable. But, you know, we're dealing with some really hard-headed people. Uh, after what happened on the Senate floor, uh, Jason and I and some other veterans went and marched in the New Braunfels Veterans Day Parade just so we could talk to Senator Campbell. Uh, and uh, Jason ended up uh, meeting personally with Senator Campbell and meeting personally with Senator Birdwell. And, uh, and my optimism told me 
uh, once they meet with Jason, you know, they, they talk to Jason. Jason speaks. He's a pretty charismatic guy. Exactly. Uh, they hear they hear his story. Uh, then then uh, Senator Campbell uh, will will commit to uh, sponsoring a whole plant medical marijuana bill as penance uh, for what they did on the Senate floor. And uh, Senator Birdwell, who's a retired lieutenant colonel who was severely injured on, during the Pentagon attack and knows quite well about opioids yeah. uh, and all that. Uh, once he meets with Jason, a uh, retired uh, NCO, uh, that we can, uh, we can change their minds. And uh, Jason met with both of them. And uh, Jason can, uh, if he wants to, can kind of oh, yeah. tell us what, what the result was. Um, well, with Birdwell, I met with him, and he didn't want to meet with any other vets. He just wanted to meet with me alone. So um, I did it. Um, we were scheduled for, I think it was like a 15, 20-minute meeting, and it ended up being over an hour. Dave drove me, and I met him at his uh, office, his home office in Waco. and. He was just totally opposed, but he sat there and we, he listened to my story and he respected it, listened to every word that I had to say, he never interrupted me, anything like that. And I listened to his story and why he was opposed. And then there was a gym in the meeting and the gym was his uh, assistant over there. And she felt influenced or comfortable enough after I was telling my story that she wanted to share her family story and her experience with cannabis with him which she had never shared with him before, all right? And she talked about her dad had cancer, and he used cannabis. And whenever he used cannabis, it wasn't the cancer anymore. It was her dad that she got to spend time with, and he was terminally ill. He's about to die. So I asked her, I was like, hey, how did you, know, you give the cannabis to your dad? She's like, he smoked it, because that was one of uh, Birdwell's big thing, is that he doesn't believe that smoking cannabis is medicine. It's bad optics. And I looked at him. I was like, you, you see, it's medicine. I was like, that's it. But it, the medicine that was there was that she felt so comfortable that yeah. she wanted to share that with him. And then whenever I, the meeting was over, she came up to me and she told me, thank you. And she said, if I ever wanted to meet with him again or something like that, that she would really help out. And I told her, you know, thank you for what you did. But during the, the meeting, He's real opposed to it. He doesn't think smoking cannabis is medicine. So he, does, he doesn't believe in natural plants. No, I mean, really. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to put words in his No, mouth, no, here's, here's why I asked, because we sat at his desk the session before, and I took a picture of the hyoscamine, the tropane alkaloids from like Datura and Brugmansia that are in his prescription on his desk that he takes. So he's like taking plant-based medicine. Exactly. The, he's taking Datura. He's taking Datura, bro. Come on. That's what I'm saying. He's taking Datura. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> because if anybody knows anything about Not for Datura, three, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. But, yep. And then at the end of the meeting, you know, we shook hands, yeah. we smiled yeah. and everything like that. And then he was easier to get a hold of and get a meeting with than so Senator he, Campbell. He, he'd made up his mind, it sounds like. You know, he, he was respectful, listened to you because of your sure. military service experience. Right. But he was like, dude, you're not going to change my mind. Right. And it sounds like even more like open might have opened his heart or his mind as his, uh, the person working with him sharing yes. that anecdotal story. Yeah, and God bless her. So I hope <laughs> that she's still there and I hope that she still has his ear, you know, <laughs> yeah. with that. But yeah, and we respectfully came to that. And yeah. I think the only reason why I got to go see him because I harped that, you know, I was a sergeant first class. I spent 20 years in the army. I've been in combat numerous times. 
And I was on all those pills. I just kept harping that and that those pills drove me to suicide and cannabis was the thing that saved me. And nobody can tell me that um, any different because I tried the right way. I trusted in the medical system fully. I was hospitalized three times while I was in the military. And those were hospitalizations for PTSD, okay? And while I was hospitalized during one of those times, I was given Zyprexa. And that's another thing that they give you for, uh, um, it's uh, another thing like Seroquel. They give you for bipolar and things like that. But in two weeks, I gained 25 pounds. <laughs> All right? And I'm a small guy. Yeah, dude. And, and I was in a hospital where I wasn't allowed to eat. I didn't have a lot of food accessible to me. So I knew that it was one of these medications. So whenever I came back, I was talking to my uh, psychiatrist that was at Fort Hood. That's whenever he put me on the Seroquel. And, um, you know, I lost some of the weight. But that's just some of the side effects. And then another side effect I, is vision. Like, I had to get glasses. And then erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Let's go there. <laughs> with all those medications forget about forget about it i mean your mind's real messed up anyway so sex isn't even on your mind yeah. but even if you wanted to yeah. and all those pills so what do they give you they give you blue pills because even if you've deployed if you de deployed on combat to combat whenever you return the military or males will prescribe you for the rest of the time that you're in the military I think it's uh, it was six fifty milligram, uh, blue pills. What what is it called? Viagra, yeah. right? Viagra. Yeah. From and Pfizer. that was just because you deployed. <laughs> That's just because you deployed. It's not. It's not because you come in there and said, "I'm having these side effects, doctor." Yeah, and they and know. We, yeah, I'm, yeah, I can't get intimate with my wife. Yeah. They they already kind of know, right? The cocktail right. that they're giving these yeah, people. So, let's say I was on eleven different medications yeah. now instead of ten. So that's crazy, right? So these politicians want me to continue to do this. And then whenever we sit here and we cry that 22 veterans are committing suicide a day, I was one of them. I don't want my brothers and sisters to continue to go down this road. Let's try to throw us a bone here with um, something that's actually giving us a route to heal or process some of this trauma that we've occurred while we've been downrange. Amen. So tell us about your meeting with uh, Senator Donna Campbell after oh, she made these statements on the floor. We uh, were able to, fortunately, some veterans, you know, march in uh, New Braunfels and in Austin for Veterans Day. And then you were able to uh, meet with her after that. It was, and it, it was hard to get a hold of her. It was hard to get a meeting with her. And the meeting caused a lot of rift between some veterans within Texas, and it was really ugly. And uh, some of us, you know, um, we didn't talk for a long time and some of us, we still don't talk, but the meeting happened and the meeting happened with a veteran that I, um, it was like a month earlier that I had gotten to an altercation with, uh, not a physical altercation with, but um, it almost got, it almost led to that. But I knew in my mind that he had to be at the meeting. So I got a hold of him. I was like, hey, listen, we have to do this. And he's a retired lieutenant colonel. He had 30 years in the military, healthcare administrator. You understand how important it was for him to be there and to speak with the, to this doctor, right? Dr. Campbell. Yeah. So he said, hell yeah, we're going to do this. So we had a Zoom meeting with her. 
and he told his story and I told mine and she said that she needed more U.S. studies. Marcia, yeah. when I was a pharmaceutical rep, that was Good the number one Lord. objection from every single doctor when you showed them whatever information, studies, data. They'd be like, that's great, Ian. Do you have some more studies? And you're like, oh, you're blowing me off, aren't you? Okay. Right. And yeah. so Same thing in the politics, right? We're, we're screaming that we are the studies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but you're anecdotal. And I sent her, um, <laughs> I'm not anecdotal in those, the studies. But you're off-label. And what I really focused on was the nightmares with her and how it took those away from me. And I explained to her, you know, that I wasn't going into a REM sleep. So it wasn't a real deep REM sleep. So, you know, that's what that THC is helping me with. And that's what caused me not to have those nightmares because my second so tour in Iraq, like, let me, like, let me no, tell you. No, it's not that, a dis. Is, yeah. is she, is she so, following along with you, though? So is she your is. Okay, so she's, she's, she's following okay, along. She's like, I get it. This is helping with your REM sleep. Right, and she was following along, and I gave her studies of um, that was happening in Canada that they've used this uh, nabiline yeah. on prisoners. And, yeah. and that, and Synthetic the only, THC. Yeah, the only thing that I was showing Schedule her that was three. that... It was THC causing this to happen or a synthetic THC causing yeah. this to happen. I was hoping that she could put those two together and I think she did, but it's still, that's where she's like, I still need more U S studies. But I explained to her where the cannabis was coming from for these U S studies and it was inferior and it had mold on it and this, that, and the other. And she told me, well, there has to be a standard somewhere. Or there has to be a standard started. And at that point, I was just, uh, I just wanted to create some space. I didn't want to even try to attack that at that, at that moment. Because um, I felt that she just kind of uh, took the meeting so I would stop trying to get a meeting. Yeah. All right? Stop going after. Because um, I was. I'm, I'm a very persistent person. And that's, that's a very good personal attribute of mine. So she's saying I'm not, she's not ready to be on the positive side of cannabis because she's, she's just not a believer herself, right? In other words, you could show her a bunch of studies and she's like, well, that's just not enough for me to change my mind. I've or she's already got her mind made up. And, and how, you know, I can't, I still can't get my head around this. How can a, a doctor and a Lieutenant Colonel, who himself has gone through terrible injuries, sit there and, li and listen to Sergeant First Class retired Jason Walker tell them this witness, this testimony, and then do nothing. I just, uh, I, that, that tells me there are very powerful forces uh, behind this opposition. Exactly. You know, and because it, it just, it doesn't, on a human level, how can you listen to, to this, this uh, retired NCO, Jason Walker, and then just do nothing? It just, well, it's hard for me to comprehend. For sure. What, what you're kind of offering then is that she's being used politically with the doctor credentials to tell us no. In other words, yeah. right? Basically, exactly. like, go talk yeah. to the doctor. And if you can convince the doctor, we'll, we'll talk about it. She's yeah, like, I don't believe in cannabis, so you can show me as many studies as you want. Sure. I offered to have to bring um, some other people to meet at a different time. And I said I could bring doctors, 
Yeah. I could do this. I could do that. Doctors, because lawyers, at, at that time, you know, I was I was connected a little bit more with some groups in Texas yeah. than right now, and I knew I could reach out and I could do that if she really wanted it. But she said, "No, you and my colleague at yeah. that time speak well enough." Blah 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 blah. And after that meeting, it just uh, and after I mean, I really felt defeated. I really did, and it, I tried. Um, I felt like I could connect with her in a way that maybe she could understand, but uh, I think I was real naive to what was really going on until yeah, I. And you would met think that Lieutenant Colonel Birdwell would say, "Brother, who am I to stand between you and this plant if it helps you?" I mean, you would think that. Oh, he's that a deter lover, bro. He does doesn't like the cannabis. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. So again, I can't even comprehend why a, a, a Lieutenant Colonel would uh, say, I'm going to continue to stand in front of you so that you cannot legally access this medicine after you sit there and talk to him brother to brother. Again, that tells me there's powerful forces. It it makes me think when I was a pharmaceutical rep for Pfizer calling on Kelly Air Force Base, you know, Wilford Hall and Brook Army Medical Center and Darnell up in, uh, at Fort Hood, where a doctor could only prescribe a drug, this is true for the military or like a healthcare system, if it's on the formulary, right? It has to be on the list. So it's basically like saying, if cannabis isn't on my formulary, I don't, I don't want to prescribe it. And they know that it's not going to get on there because it's generic. It's not a drug that can be patented. So, But now we know that they do prescribe. Oh, uh-oh, now. Here, let's this talk is, about okay, this. Okay, this is really good. Let's talk about I didn't bro- know I wanted to talk about no, this. No, let's go to this. Okay, Because exactly. this is what got me in yes. Senator Campbell as well. Because so let's, I told let, her. Let's, let's frame a little bit for the background. There is a U.S. patent on cannabis for its neuroprotective and antioxidant properties. There is synthetic THC, which is an FDA-approved drug, Schedule Three, called Nabilone. It's a Nabilone class or whatever yeah, yeah uh um, we'll, we'll remember the name as we go in the show yeah, there's an american name yeah. for it, I can't so, remember. so w- w- marinol yeah they, thanks marinol. so so there's already these versions right that are prescribed and then we have the hemp farm bill and so that kind of clears up stuff around cbd let's say outside the military but then yeah what starts happening at brook army medical center right so through my advocacy of cannabis and Colleen, uh, one of my brothers, brought over another one of our brothers that had recently been medically retired out of the Army, out of Brook Army Medical Center. And then he's on a bunch of medications, too, but one of his medications was Marinol. Wow. And he was prescribed it from Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. So I brought that to Senator Birdwell and said... They're prescribing this to our military. Like it's being prescribed. And this is, you know, synthetic yeah. THC. And it's working for them. But, but what was, when you just said and, THC and like this is legal and they can get it, what was, was he like, what? What was, what was his reaction? He wanted, he wanted the, the picture of the prescription. Yeah. And I had already made a folder for him and everything. And I uh, blacked out the name of the doctor and my homeboy, my brother that gave me uh stuff and i even went as far as to take some of it myself and it yeah. felt like i was on one of the antipsychotics or something like that um and it's like in these you, little no no entourage effect none <laughs> and like it's just in these little red 
a capsule. Just the diamonds out like of the a, diamonds and terps. Like in a like a sesame oil. Yeah. And it's a capsule, and they were like five milligrams. But guess what? He was prescribed it for. Uh, what? Chronic pain. Oh wow! All so right, we're coming full circle. So these, this is like these little gems that I'm bringing to these legislatures, and that helped me get in. But once you get in and you start telling this, there, it, it didn't seem like they were that interested anymore. Yes. So, so how does this happen where the government on one side has a legal version of this, but they're saying this natural version of it is not legitimate? That's our Western culture. That's what we believe medicine is. We believe medicine is in pills. We don't believe medicine is something natural that we go out and pick out of our no. garden ourselves. It's not Western medicine. and We have to get away from that. We do. Because I'll- it doesn't work for everybody. All I know when I started to learn and you were part of helping me learn that people could actually go and get a prescription for Marinol, I was counseling a veteran that we all know here who's from Texas and lived in a legal state, Washington, yeah. where got medical cannabis and moved down here and was not getting the medical cannabis and was having, you know, neighbor issues around her cannabis with child protective services. And she's like, and on top of all this craziness, I've got a VA doctor who's also a veteran who wants to give me Marinol. And I'm like, you need to get yeah, that because that's it. called a license to have THC in your system 24-7-365. So when the CPS shows up at your door and like we heard you've been smoking weed it's like yes would you like to see my marinol prescription so it's just it's it's nuts that we can have a scenario where people are like i can't even get the stuff that actually the military itself has to be able to prescribe to people and now right that's happening that the prescriptions for marinol at brook army they're they're going crazy right and let me put out that uh, he was in WTU as well. And this is uh, what is that? Um, it's a warrior transition unit yeah. where wounded warriors go to transition either to a different MOS or um, transition okay, out he, the military so he's already or on his way out. Transition yeah. back to uh, regular yeah. duty. But he was on his way out and uh, he was asked to be part of that study. And then he was told that if he was part of that study and prescribed that medication that he could, you know, he had to sign some type of waiver that he knew that he was still being put out the army, but they were still doing that study on him, right? For pain, for pain. And that was something that yeah. they said that it didn't work for. And this is the That yeah. they didn't want to put in the teacup for 0.5% THC. Yes, and this is the same military where the commander at Brook Army Medical Center said, don't use CBD because if you piss hot for CBD, you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to get all the you know stuff that normally happens in your progression because the guy literally said this in the, in the letter, the command letter, uh, because most people that are uh, u- using CBD, they're probably using, you know, uh, THC. You know what I'm saying? In other words, basically, they couldn't prove where the stuff was coming from, and uh, therefore, it assumed you were just like a bad person. So don't don't use the CBD that you're legally yeah, entitled to under the farm bill, while at the same time, you could go and get Marinol if they'd tell you about it, yeah. you know, or let you have it. Because you're just a 
dirtbag in the military if you use cannabis. You are. That stigma is so strong. That stim- stigma because, in the military because is they, stronger than because like they can test for Christians. It. You, you've been in the military, both of you guys, a long right. time. Is because they can test for it. Yeah. You can go out on a weekend, get drunk as fuck, do coke, do everything else that's going to be out of your system Most come definitely. Monday and the possible chance you're going to have the piss test and you're going to be potentially good to go. Whereas with cannabis, they got you for days and weeks and even months. And now if you can test people in the hair, fuck, you're fucked forever. So and they they can test for it. So that's why it's it's you know it's not allowed. And the testing became more often um, the longer that I stayed in the military. Like whenever I first got in the military, maybe once a quarter, you would go in and do a, a test. But by the time I, I retired, twenty seventeen out of Fort Hood, we were doing them like once a week. Every I, week you're doing it. It was either a ten percent every week, and then you had to do a hundred percent. I I'm not, I wasn't in the in that group, but. I mean, we had to go ahead and do it. I had soldiers, you know, it took away from, you know, doing actual training. Mission mission readiness. Mission readiness. You know what I mean? Because we were always, they were always trying to catch somebody doing something. And um, man, that, that bled into a lot of things that but, the but leadership too. to put in perspective for people they're worried about testing you for cannabis and you pissing hot because that could affect your military performance yet while you're still on duty. There, you've got this whole cocktail of drugs that exactly. you're on. Exactly. So how, how do you square those two things? Well, they gave me a <laughs> profile that said I couldn't carry a weapon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, really, that's what it comes down to. Whenever I was on all those medications, that's probably what started the, uh, the med board processes because one, I couldn't deploy and one, I couldn't carry a weapon any longer. I'm a sergeant first class. I couldn't go to the field, things like that. But yeah, that's kind of... That's kind of like this for that. That's our mitigation. And I was being prescribed opioids in Iraq in the combat zone. Because all, all we had to do, all, and all of the officers in my unit were taking opioids, because all we had to do was go over to the doc and uh, tell him that, because uh, we, we all had injuries, because we were all career officers, tell the doc that you know wearing all that heavy gear was causing us a lot of pain. And he would just give us a bag of opioids. So the whole time I was in Iraq, yeah, I had this gigantic stash uh, of pain meds. And uh, when I came back, I, I built up my stash uh, so that I could bring some back because uh, I knew they'd cut me off cold turkey. And um, when I went through the MP checkpoint, all the MPs came over to check out my pills and they were laughing. They were like, you have all the good stuff, sir. Yeah. And because uh, like, you yeah. just had to have your pills with the label uh from yeah. uh, of what they were and where you got them from the customs like right. the u.s customs right before you yeah. came out because i'm right with you yeah. in 2014 in afghanistan i got hernia and i ate up so much of the the opioids in our small little fob if you even want it wasn't even a fob but anyway i had to go to bagram to go like i had to fly on a helicopter two hours to go get more <laughs> because we ran out because I was eating. So drug run. Yeah. Drug run in the I helicopter. Drug run <laughs> Afghanistan. So it's from, not like going to 7-Eleven to go catch you. No, from like the coast province. <laughs> CVS. All right. <laughs> that's over there by Pakistan. I'm going to Bagram to get fed too. Like they had some really good food over there. Because where we were at, we had, you we come, had you army cooks. You come for the opiates, but you stay for the food. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for real. I did that. It was like a four day trip. And... Then I came back and had to have surgery. And at the same time, I still have soldiers my weapon, in know. the combat zone were getting busted for smoking hash for the Got exact it. same reason. So they could unwind and relax and, and, and deal with their pain. 
Uh, so, so all the officers were, had an unlimited, you know, prescription to opioids and the soldiers, you know, they were smoking hash for the exact same reasons. And, and if they got caught, they got busted, but we could take all the opioids we wanted. We were doing health and welfares over there in Afghanistan. Like, uh, the, uh, civilians that worked over there, they had some alcohol. So we did like a night ops on everybody. We were supposed to hit everybody at the same time because they had cell phones, but didn't work out so they were hitting people up on cell phones and uh they were hiding it somewhere but on civilians we're doing i didn't find any hash or anything like that though wow so this is a, a crazy place right <laughs> that uh this whole war machine and war on drugs has taken us to uh, and clearly this is not the way we want to keep on living yeah what's the future that you guys want to see where these medicines are accessible and available, cannabis and these other psychedelics. What, what's well, the future? What, what I want like? to say to Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick and Senator Brian Birdwell and Senator Donna Campbell and Representative Stephanie Click is this. I'm not begging you uh, to let me use cannabis. I use cannabis every day in Texas. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop me and other veterans from using cannabis. Because when I started Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana, two of the very first veterans I met were Korean War veterans who discovered cannabis in Asia. So this knowledge is being passed from generation to generation of veterans. And a government cannot control a seed which is given to us as a gift from God for our healing. And so the government is losing the war on drugs. Drugs are winning the war on drugs. Uh, but as far as cannabis is concerned, I'm not begging uh, to, to legally use cannabis. I'm using cannabis. I will keep using cannabis. And there's nothing the government of Texas can do to stop me from using cannabis. They can put me in jail. But as soon as I get out, I'll start using it again. I'll never stop using cannabis because I consider it to be a gift from God. And, and so uh, that's what I want the government of Texas to understand is they're fighting a losing battle. Uh, we believe uh, that, that this plant uh, is, is for our healing. It's, be, it's been used by humans for thousands of years, and the government is on the losing side of this, and truth is on our side. Amen. Why? How do, how do I follow that? Yeah, up? well, no, I I'll, I'll make it easy. Why, why do we need a right to grow, whether we're veterans or, or patients or whatever? Why is a right to grow important? To protect us. Because, for one, whenever, say, you're on all those pills, you got all those chemicals in your body. I didn't want any more chemicals in my body. I wanted something fresh, organic. So, I want, if I can grow my own medicine, I can make sure that that's fresh, organic. I can grow my own strains that help me specifically say I need like a real heavy indica at night so I stay asleep for eight hours and I don't have any dreams but for the day I need you know like a 50-50 like a good gelato or something one like of those that. cookies in the cookies you know or Girl Scout cookies <laughs> you see what I'm getting at I mean ooh I'd love it <laughs> great so I think we're all in agreement of the, the gift this thing is, and we're just trying to, you know, write the, return the gift to its original state. We're not 
asking for something to be given back to us. It's already a right. natural. And, and I got reprimanded sure. the other day uh, <laughs> by a leader in our movement uh, for talking about uh, Senator Campbell and, and Representative Click. Uh, and, and this person said, do you expect them to help us when you're saying these things? And my point is, I don't need their help. I'm helping myself. Veterans are helping each other. We're already helping ourselves. We're not asking for their help. We're asking them to do what is right and just, and that's a whole different thing. We don't need their help. We know how to put this seed in the ground. We know how to grow this plant. We know how to use this plant. We, need, we don't need their help for that. We're, we're bringing to them the opportunity to do the right thing, to do the just thing in Texas. Mm, I like that. Well, Jason, what about you? What would you like to see in Texas or nationally or across the world with cannabis or psychedelics? Because we, we can all agree this stuff's coming mainstream. The drug war's ending. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You've got all this money, right? Yeah. Chasing, you know, yeah. and starting to invest in these kind of things. So. Yeah. Um, well, what I ultimately want is, you know, for it to be fully legalized and that I can have a home grow. And like Dave was saying, I could have a co-op. Uh, but I don't see that happen in this ledge session. I'm going to stay grounded. And I think that there will be a couple of conditions added to teacup and teacup will stay the same. Um, I don't believe that they're going to um, move the THC limits. I think uh, they'll add a couple of conditions and then we'll can have to continue our fight. So it sounds like veterans still going to be leading the way to change things in Texas and over the next couple of years. I don't know what else can we tell them that hasn't already been said. You know, how many people have to come up there and tell them the same exact story before it finally resonates within them? Yeah, now I've been telling Jason and, and some of the other veterans and uh, law enforcement officers who work with us that um, we're kind of past the point where we need to go fall on our sword over and over again. Um, you know, we've built this legalization movement in Texas. It's kind of a machine that's just going to keep operating and our victory is assured. Uh, and so as Ian has helped us understand um, instead of falling on our sword all the time and, and staying, you know, deeply involved in the, in the uh, PTSD Olympics, um, some of us need to move to a higher plane and, and, uh, and uh, um, continue to lead by example to resist these unjust laws. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to uh, keep moving forward. And just because Texas stays in one place doesn't mean we have to stay in one place. I think as we're wrapping this up, uh, Dave, you and I both had the you know, blessing of knowing Vincent Lopez. And uh, how, how can we channel his spirit? Or what would Vincent be telling us now if he was still here with us? He was a patient who was a very early advocate for cannabis here in Texas. What would Vincent say? Well, Vincent is one of the very first people that I heard talk about 
um, that uh, cannabis is a natural right. That that it's this is beyond uh, the government saying yes or no. Um, Vincent uh, talked about uh, the our right to heal ourselves uh, is above the government's right uh, to impose restrictions on us. And uh, I think uh, Vincent would be very pleased, is very pleased, mm-hmm. uh, that we have refused to back down in the face of injustice. Uh, and, and we don't allow the government uh, to control this plant uh, when it concerns our healing. I think that would be a reason for vets to continue to tell their story so other vets can feel comfortable. I know the the politicians aren't really listening to us, but whenever you go up there, you tell those stories, it moves people. It really does. And the politicians, I know they're moved, but they can't be moved to make a vote. But, you know, that's what I always would tell myself whenever I'd go out there and advocate because I'm real self-conscious and I would tell myself a lot that I wasn't good enough and things like that. But if I just reached one person that was suicidal like I was and they felt influenced or, you know, a little bit of strength to get off the opioids or the uh, antipsychotics or whatever they were on, it doesn't have to be with marijuana or cannabis or with psychedelics. See, you, you could use something else, but as long as I kept on doing that, I, I would tell myself that I'm making a difference. And that's kind of like what Dave was just saying about Vincent, you know, the, the government can't tell us how to heal ourselves. We're going to do it. We are. So it seems like veterans are still going to be part of the conversation, probably come the next uh, election cycle for lieutenant governor and governor, and then the next session. Those two things together, which are going to happen over a seven-month period, right from November 2022 into June of 2023, that's when it's all going to go down, right? Is that? I agree. Okay. So we need to keep on fighting the good fight, (laughs) telling the truth about cannabis, showing up so other veterans and other people can safely follow in our footsteps and uh, get ourselves all across the finish line together. And keep our eyes on the ultimate prize because Ian reminds us that cannabis is just one of of the plant medicines. So the government has no right to, to outlaw any plant medicine because those plants come from God. And, and it's so, completely indiscriminate, right? The, so we have to keep our eyes on, on, on the ultimate goal uh, for all of our plant medicines to be legal. Amen. Thank you.